And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Tuesday afternoon where the NBA, in conjunction with the Players Association, just released a slew, a veritable slew of adjustments to the league's COVID protocols. What a depressing sentence that is to try to keep the NBA season uh, from a pause and to help us digest all of that and whatever the hell is going on in Brooklyn, uh, ESPN's insider, the man who knows everything, Adrian Wojnarowski, how are you? I definitely don't know everything or feel like I know anything these days, but I'm great, Zach. How are you? I am hanging in. I am hanging in. So uh, let's review the highlights of the changed protocols. Number mm-hmm. one, uh, uh, players have to stay in their hotel rooms on the road. No more restaurants. No more hotel guests, whatever that meant for each individual player. No more dinners with their teammates for at least two weeks. Um, at home, they essentially have to stay in their house except for practices, essentials, team meetings, any household employee, like a nanny or a housekeeper, is going to have to undergo testing. Uh, family members are still just recommended, I believe, to undergo testing, although the league will make that, teams will make that available to players. These are intended to last for two weeks. And um, in addition to that, there's all sorts of mask wearing, don't hug, don't fist bump, or elbow bump, whatever, whatever the heck it is, which people laughed at and... Before I go to you on, on what to look for, th- yes, all of this is to prevent the spread of the virus. Obviously, that's true. What people are sort of forgetting and laughing at all these mechanisms is that the NBA already had a lot of plans in place to prevent the spread of the virus, notably testing everybody twice a day. And in some cases, according to the changes today, that can be three times a day if there are certain high-risk situations on teams. That is the thing hovering over all of this. What this is also really designed to do is what's caused all these postponements, Woj, as you know, is not some uh, other than in Dallas, which is troubling with four positive cases, is not a giant outbreak of positives. It's all of the people who have to quarantine for at least a week in contact tracing as they investigate that. And what these things are trying to do is if there are for at least a while, no dinners, no gatherings, at least one of the NBA contract tracing sort of morasses I know of stemmed from a meal where players were a little closer together than maybe they should have been. Obviously, when you're eating, there's no masks on. You cut all that down, all of a sudden, the contact tracing doesn't implicate like half the team and you don't have all of these postponements. So, I, I, you know, I, the league is going to do the best it can to keep going. Clearly, this is just we're plowing through the season. For better or worse, we're going to plow. The, the league wants to plow through the season, get the broadcast money, get back on the calendar, get done before the Olympics. And this is all in conjunction with that goal, I guess, right? What, is there anything that stood out to you today? Is there anything you disagree with that I just said? What, what, what am I missing? Well, I think the headline of this, and, and there's a lot, but the most important one to the teams was to end the guests in the hotel rooms. And, and the story I posted on dot com, you know, I quoted an executive of, as saying that was kind of the Mack truck driving through all of our protocols. And initially that was discussed with the Players Association when they were putting the rules in place for the season. Uh, the, the league would have liked it from the beginning, but there came a understanding now that it, it needed to be done here and it has been. And so that is a big part of this. And, you know, I think some teams had tried to be vigilant 
themselves. The organizations could not dictate. The rule allowed players to have guests, up to two guests at the hotels, and they had to be, technically, they had to be family in that town or longstanding friends, which certainly, I would imagine, that's probably a loose definition for some of of those who visited. And, you know, there was some places where players themselves said, should we, like, maybe we can take the testing on ourselves. And, and if someone is coming to visit that we, we ourselves test them, but the team couldn't coordinate it. The league couldn't coordinate it. Now it's not allowed. And so does that mean it's never going to happen? I I don't know, but now there is going to be at the very least a penalty for that. The league would, you know, they have, uh, they want teams to monitor and, and punish players or, or, or hand out punishment to staff players themselves. There's cases where the league would take that over. And then obviously not just on the road, but at home because a player, I mean, just because you're on the road doesn't mean you can have more contact with people who might have the virus than you could if you're around your your own home, you're around your city. And so they're trying to limit it there, as you said, with having essentially you got to stay in your house and there was some talk and they, they ran this by the general managers on Monday in a call about eliminating shoot arounds. And a lot of teams have limited shoot arounds. They're not doing as many, but they didn't want to lose them altogether. And uh, that was important to teams. I had some, some GM said to me, like, do we want to turn this into AAU basketball? We're just going to not practice. You know, teams are out on road trips they may not do a lot of shoot-arounds, but there's days you'd like to get out in the gym and do it. And so uh, that remains, although, you know, you've seen teams limit themselves and, and make decisions to do that. So uh, it is a trying time for the league. And we've had a, we had another game postponed today. Uh, Orlando, before Orlando even got to the airport to go to Boston, they were told, they told their players, hey, guys, go home. Uh, they're hopeful. They had a Wednesday-Friday game in Boston games and they're hopeful that they could perhaps fly on Thursday and play Friday that Boston may have the manpower to play by Friday but that hasn't been decided yet and but as you said Zach this league wants to forge forward they expected postponements they expected uh, to have many of these circumstances they're here it's the reality of trying to exist in this COVID world but you know, Adam Silver is determined to keep moving forward. He had a board of governors meeting with his owners today, and what comes out of that is that we're, we're gonna we're gonna try to tighten these protocols, see if we can get through the worst of this pandemic, and, and see if as more people get vaccinated, as perhaps a new administration takes over, and there's actually a coherent national plan put in place, and maybe on the state level in different places that would allow things to get better? A few things. Number one, I think a lot of people have the impression that the league, when you read about analysis of all this, look, this is all fraught. It's all dangerous. Everything is scary in the world now. Every activity, going to school is scary. Teachers are scared. There's a sense that the NBA is like is, is forcing this onto players. And, and, and the NBA has more resources. Owners have more resources. But all of this is bargained with the players. The players know what's at stake for them personally, their salaries, their families. They're not just sort of – they have agency in this too. They're not just sort of recipients, passive recipients of policy handed down atop their head. Two issues that I think you raise, and I'll I'll leave it up to you which one you want to talk about. Two issues that I think 
are clearly already rearing their heads. Number one, as life, um, and, and I'm sure you've heard the same stuff from players, coaches, everyone in the traveling party that I've heard, as life on the road and at home comes closer and closer to resembling the bubble, except for the fact that in most cases you're with your family when you're home, there is this this same sort of mental strain and anguish and challenges of just, I haven't heard one person who's enjoying the season at all. And again, that's a first world problem. Oh, you're not enjoying your NBA season. Big whoop. There's lots. But like, this is a long period of time. And, and I do think it's going to take a mental strain on players and, and coaches and GMs. And so that's one issue. You can talk about that one if you want. The other one is, I think, and the shoot around thing that you mentioned gets at this. I think we're beginning to see not a divide, but certainly differing approaches maybe between basketball people and medical people on teams. And the basketball people are beginning to worry about both the quality of play. Like we can't even practice. We can't shoot around. We had no training camp. Our rookies barely know what the hell they're doing and where the hell they are in the world. We can't do anything. We're just winging it out there. And beyond that, um, if we can't practice and have shoot arounds, we have all sorts of treatment plans, training plans, stretching plans, body yeah. maintenance plans that take place at those things. We can kind of replicate those, but not really. Um, are we putting our players at risk for injury? And this is before you get to games like the, the Sixers have played where they have everyone has to play 40 minutes because they have no players. So mental strain, quality of play, physical strain. I get, I'm assuming you're hearing both of those, right? Absolutely, Zach. And it's piling up on people. And you're right. Joe Ingles had a line today, you know, talking about how difficult it was. I think he was talking with the Utah media. And he said, hey, listen, we get to play basketball and still stay in a nice hotel. Like, there's nothing for us to be complaining about. It's, it's obviously not easy, but many people have it worse. So you always put that context at the beginning of it. But I think there's great concern among teams about the price they are paying for the quality of play. The risk of injury, certainly, as rosters. And remember, a player has to quarantine for a week, perhaps, and he can't go in the gym. He can't be work out. And then he comes out of that. We got to throw him back on the court. You're in Boston. All these guys are are excluded right now. Do you bring them back slowly? Do you say, God, we got to – I mean, how much – every team's facing that. And so what does that mean for players coming out of these extended periods? That Those are smaller things. But And you're right. And, and I don't think it's a – basketball staff versus medical protocol people. I don't think it's because that would be to suggest that the basketball people don't care about this. And no, they I do. did. I, I certainly know, didn't mean to suggest Jack, that. No, no. And I know you're, I know you're not alluding to that. And I, I want to make sure the audience doesn't think there's like just a bunch of GMs and coaches who don't care about any of this. I, I think the GMs and coaches and, you know, players, certainly we all talk to, care greatly about this. I mean, Stan, what did Stan Van Gundy say yesterday? I'm scared bleepless of catching this thing. I don't want to catch it. And Stan's obviously probably, well, he, he's in a more vulnerable group in his 60s than his players are perhaps in their 20s. But there's a feeling that they're kind of holding this together by a string right now. And even though the league expected it, they expected postponements, they expected rosters to be thinned down and positive tests. It's different when it arrives and, and it's here. And I think it's a, just a tremendous challenge for the league. And it's funny, everyone talked about an asterisk last season, the bubble. Is there an asterisk on that championship? And I said then, 
the asterisk, if there is one, it, it's probably going to be this year if you wanted to make that case. I'm not, I'm not trying to devalue who might win the title or whatever, but the playing field is not level. And there's a lot of, for lots of reasons, we look at who's out there. I had one agent say to me the other day that he's imploring his young players on teams who would ordinarily not get a chance to play or be in a rotation, those on good teams or even bad teams. Will you please not leave your room ever? Will you please just stay in your room? Because you're going to get a chance to play. If you can just stay healthy, you are going to get a chance to play at a time when you're in your career where you may have never gotten an opportunity to play. Don't blow this opportunity. And, you know, there's different ways of looking at this, but you're seeing the lineups teams are putting out there. And we don't recognize a lot of it. And we're going to continue to see that, you know, as we move forward. But um, this is, uh, you know, even for a reduced 72 game schedule, it is going to be a real slog to get through these 72 into the playoffs. Yeah. I, just to be clear, I didn't mean to suggest that the basketball people are not concerned about the, the medical stuff. They are. In fact, they're concerned specifically about no, injuries. No. I, I just yes. meant the quality of play and team camaraderie stuff. Some people care about that and some people do not at all, depending on sort of what your approach to the situation yeah. is. So, and, and Or some people just yeah, view that as a very... talk about that. Yeah. And some teams have done, yeah, you know, have, have kind of turned their hotels on the road. They've got game rooms and lounges. I know a team, I think, contracted with some food trucks to come uh, serve food at their hotel or something to just liven it up. But you mentioned 72 games. I wonder if we're going to get 72 games. Well, we'll see. I mean, part of the reason they don't want to postpone or stop the season is because you are then faced with an uncomfortable choice of we either squeeze the remaining games into an even shorter time frame, which again, increases the risk of injury. I mean, nobody wants to be playing three days in a row, four out of five, five out of six, whatever it is, or you have to extend the season past the current end date. And all I've heard, you've heard more than me, but I, I don't think anybody wants to do that because at least now, Nobody wants to do that because they've clearly said, A, the Olympics, and B, we want to get back on the calendar. So part of the reason I think putting two and two together, they don't want to have even a two-week postponement or a three-week postponement if they don't have to, in addition to the one that's already built into the schedule in March, is because it it faces it, it sort of gives them an uncomfortable choice between fewer games uh, or you know compressed games and or lengthening the season, none of which are alternatives anybody seems to want. No, I think it's exactly right, Zach. And yeah, no, and and pushing it into the Olympics for a few reasons: for television, not wanting to have to go against the Olympics as a TV competitor, uh, wanting to allow your players to play in the Olympics, whether it's American players or international players for their countries. Uh, that was obviously part of it. Um, and and but as you said, getting back on the calendar, getting back next season on this on a typical NBA calendar was really important, uh, is important for the league. And so, um, and the thing I keep hearing from people in the league and is, listen, we have to be all willing to take risk. There's risk that we all signed up for this year. Players did, the organizations did, to be a part of this. And it's not perfect. And uh, nobody wants to get sick, but you're right, Zach. You said at the beginning, there's a lot of money at stake. Of course, that's a part of this. Uh, it's a big part of it. It's why that we they got into the bubble last year and found a way. Uh, I know people will bring the bubble back up, and maybe there comes a point 
where they have to look at it. The G League is going to go back to go to Disney and be in a bubble and and do that uh, coming up here. Uh, some of the G League teams, not every team, sending someone there. But I had one GM say to me the other day, whose team was in the bubble. He said, "I could tell you to a man, our guys would not want to go back. They'd rather they just they don't want to go back." Um, might might that be different with teams who weren't in the bubble? Um, the eight teams who were left out, or maybe some of the teams who weren't there as long, might have a different view of it. But um, yeah, I just think, and it's part of the reason why team the league wants to just try to fight through this thing. And and as you know, Zach, it's really expensive to also go into the bubble. Too. That's true. Well, look, it's going to come down to how the next three or four months go from the perspective of players, teams, etc. What the vaccination landscape looks like. Um, in, in whether that changes the calculus or whether it's too late to change the calculus a- at all. And, you know, I, I could see, I've always assumed, and no one that I've talked to has contradicted this assumption. I don't think it's been dis- really, um, I, I don't know where it is really, but I've always assumed that a last two rounds bubble or a playoff bubble would be up for discussion if the situation remains bad or as it is today. No one has ever told me, I, I don't, uh, people have not said, oh yes, we're discussing that right now, but people have also not said it's a non, it's a non-starter. Uh, and I do think if we just have five months of absolutely crapola basketball, just, just guys in and out, the games are terrible, ratings are bad. I do think way, uh, there would be some interest in salvaging the season because people will forget all of that if the playoffs are good. And the players will get up for the playoffs when the stakes are real. We saw it in the bubble when this, the bubble basketball was incredible coming off a long layoff. When the stakes are real, the basketball would be good. So I, I've always assumed that if circumstances were the way they are now or close to it, that that would be something at least up for the same. I mean, baseball did what the the last the World Series and the and the uh, league championship series were in bubbles, I think. Right. Um, you know, something like that doesn't seem crazy to me. But again, I didn't live the bubble. You lived the bubble for a long time. It's not it's not easy. Paul George spoke for a lot of players and coaches and people who are there for a long time. It's just it's just not mm-hmm. e- what the Raptors are doing right now is not easy. Yeah. The Raptors living in Tampa, Florida, living in a hotel there, uh, being away. They've really struggled. I have to believe that's a part of this. You know, Pascal Siakam not really having done much with a basketball during uh, a, a very strange offseason where everybody was limited about where they could go and gyms and and all of those things have, has cost them, although he's starting to play uh, better, had a triple his first triple-double against the Blazers last night. Uh, I, I think – I do wonder if by the time we do get to the playoffs, Zach, if, they're, if just mentally, emotionally, a lot of these organizations' players are really – have really been worn down. I do wonder whether it can all be ramped back up to have a high that's level. That's fair. That's fair. Because I just get a sense of such people are frustrated by like, we can't practice. We're not doing shoot arounds. I feel like this is AAU basketball. Like we can't, like we can't do the things we would normally feel like we could do to try to get better right now. We can't get our, listen, it's a level playing field. Everybody's going through the same thing, but certainly a lot of frustration around the league and I have to stop myself sometimes and look and go like the season just started on December 22nd. This is January 12th. It feels Zach like we've been at this a lot longer. I think they feel like they've been at this a lot longer this year. It's, it's not even been a month yet. 
Yeah, no one's having a lot of fun. But, you know, look, this is a league is trying to play during a pandemic. It's not going to be fun. And and again, these are first world problems compared to what a lot of a lot of people are going through. But, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. It just could. You know, I had one person high up in the league say to me three months ago, we may find out that we just can't play an indoor sport outside of a bubble during a pandemic. I mean, that may be the outcome. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the NBA has done pretty well with the testing regime, catching cases before guys become uh, contagious, at least on the court so far. Um, I think they're going to continue to play through it, but we'll see. It's demon time on prize picks where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right. 100, 100 times, times your money. money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Let's turn before we let you go to the other big story in the NBA, which is whatever is going on with the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving, who has missed, I think, the last three games for personal reasons and appears to have been, although no one has been able to say definitively that it is the case, appears to have been videotaped, recorded, whatever the phrase people use now, uh, at a 30th birthday party for his sister at some point during this time where he is away for personal reasons. If the video is indeed somewhat contemporaneous with now, uh, it's problematic for any number of reasons, including the fact that it's indoor and no indoors and nobody appears to be wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know what's going on. I don't know why he's away from the team. I'm not going to judge why he's away from the team. The video, if it's during this personal reasons absence, is certainly not a great look. If we slam James Harden for flouting the uh, coronavirus protocols, we should do the same for Kyrie Irving. Um, it, it doesn't look great. It's it's also early in a season where players are already sick of it. Um, I, is there anything that we can shed light on here? I mean, you you reported today with Malika that they don't expect him at all this week through Saturday, I believe, right. which is going to get to the point where we're talking about a guy just going away for two weeks. And look, we've all wanted time away from our jobs and our obligations. We've all taken mental health days, weeks, whatever it is. It, it happens. Um, there will come a time, though, where he's either got to come back or the Nets have a situation that is worse than this. Yeah, I think now it is complicated by the video and the league is, we are told the league is looking into the video as you expect they would. And as you said, if it is from this past week, then it creates an issue with no masks, with 
an indoor event with uh, it was a, it appeared to be a very packed room. And so now it is not necessarily about his him choosing to come back and saying, I'm coming to practice today or I'm coming. Now it's in the league's hands. And now you're looking at the potential of a quarantine and an extended period. It's certainly uh, the kind of thing if it is from this past week or and I know it, there were family birthdays. He he did post about his dad's birthday on his Instagram the other day. Uh, you know, you're looking at a player who would not be back, not just not this week, but but uh, hard to imagine next week if indeed that's how the NBA sees this and, and rules on it. And so uh, there's a lot to be worked out in Brooklyn, and they've got to figure out how they go forward together. I don't think there was any question that there was surprise initially uh, about him not being there and uh, just trying to get an understanding there of, of why and, and that he was okay. And I think ultimately Kyrie's going to have to explain to everybody. He's going to have to explain the reasoning and to his teammates, I guess, to the organization. And I'm not saying he hasn't explained any of it to them. I'm not saying he has it, but you know, I think when you've made the investment that Nets had made with Kyrie, with Kevin Durant, with this payroll, with this roster, believing that you had a championship contender, you know, you're looking to Kyrie to help lead the way and they've got to know they can count on him. And, and maybe they still can, but I think there's just, that's going to have to be worked out there. And again, I'm not going to presume to know what's going on in anybody's life. And, but I think there's, um, you know, certainly again, the video complicates it. And again, and, and I, I don't know that, um, I don't know that we're going to see Kyrie on the court here, not only this week, but uh, even next week. Might be hard to imagine he's in uniform playing in a game. It, it's just going to get stranger and stranger. I mean, there's no way around it. And, you know, Kevin Durant could have gone to any team with any player in any city. And he chose Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. And they chose it together. Maybe Kyrie chose it as much as Kevin chose it, whatever it is. And Kevin Durant coming off an Achilles tear. He's averaging 29 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists per game. He's up to a steal and a block per game. So his athletic, quote-unquote, numbers are starting to bounce back. Kevin Durant is everything the Nets could have hoped he would be and more coming off an Achilles tear. He looks like an MVP candidate. And if that Kevin Durant exists and stays healthy... The Nets can win the championship. I don't think they're the favorites. I think the Lakers are the favorites, but the Nets have the talent to win the championship. That's what's at stake here. That's the team they built. That's yeah. what you play for. And 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 as you know, Zach, these windows don't they don't exist forever. And you have a season and you have an opportunity in a roster and it changes fast on you. And who knows how long the Nets have a window to do this? They do have it now, as you said. And I, I think the hope there is that it's not going to be just wasted. And there's just a lot of weird stuff there all the time. Like Joe Harris suddenly comes off the bench. And then Joe Harris starts again. Jared Allen and DJ flip-flop again. As you know, DJ's backup status uh, uh, was, was much remarked upon last year and may have had something to do with whatever happened with Kenny Atkinson. 
Uh, he's DJ started the day after Kenny Atkinson was let go or they parted ways with Kenny Atkinson. Just, there's just weird stuff going on there. The Joe Harris thing is very, very weird. Like if you asked me to draw up a list of 20 players who you'd want playing alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and you'd, and you'd set non-superstars, obviously you'd love to have Steph Curry, blah, blah, role player types, a guy who shoots like that and moves off the ball like that and plays tough defense. I mean, Joe has made himself a competent defensive player across multiple positions. You want him playing next to Kevin and Kyrie. So it just is, is weirdness. And yeah, you know, if, if you're reporting that they don't expect him this week, I, I mean, they, that expectation exists for a reason. Someone has communicated something. Yeah. I would, I would guess that I'm not coming back for, I mean, today's Tuesday. You're reporting through Saturday. I think the games are Wednesday, Saturday. Is that well, right, or something like that? But let's, yeah. But let's let's remember too, though, Zach. It isn't necessarily Kyrie's choice or the Nets' choice anymore. Not anymore. Now this right. is in the hands of the league. So, so even if Kyrie said, "Hey, I'd like to come to practice tomorrow," uh, or come to the game and sit on the bench, I don't know that he can do that until at le- the very least that video is rectified and they they have a clear sense of, of what that means for all of this. So I don't know that this is in the hands of either the player or the team anymore because the league is looking into this and that changes the dynamic. And that probably almost, almost certainly changes the timetable. Even if a decision was made to, Hey, I'm ready to come back and play. I guess we'll just wait and see. It's certainly, I did not expect this kind of stuff to happen in Brooklyn you know, six games into the season or whatever, whatever, how long it's been. All right, Woj, did we miss anything on the protocols or anything like this? Any point you wanted to make or we didn't get across? I think everybody's all protocoled out, Zach. Yeah, I know. We're on protocol duty. Okay, Adrian Wojnarowski, go break some news. Thank you for your time. And uh, I will see you. Did, Thank you, Zach. You know, I'll, I'll see you on the screen at some point again soon because that's the only way we see people anymore. Thank you, Woj. Maybe, maybe I'll see you in person. I'll see you in person sometime, what, 2023 maybe? I'll see you somewhere. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Thank you, sir. See ya. Thanks. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Warm up with the hottest games live with Vivid Seats. No matter the sport, Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love. Plus, with Vivid Seats rewards, you can score free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, an annual birthday discount. Everyone loves that. And more. They're the only ticket company in the game that rewards fans for every purchase. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you, that's you, $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, and in an effort to make us smarter, let's welcome in Dr. Abrar Karan from Brigham and Women's Hospital and, of course, Harvard Medical School. You make that second on the resume, Harvard Medical School. Dr. Karan, you have been on the front lines of COVID-19 
since before it was even here, really, before there are any front lines around to be on. Um, thank you for for coming on. And I know you're a bit you're a big NBA fan and you are a Lakers fan. So the bubble worked out quite nicely for you. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me, Zach. And yes, you're absolutely right. I am a big Lakers fan, so I'm pretty happy about this past season. I think they're the favorites again this season too. They're just kind of they're just in chill. They're in chill mode, as LeBron would say right now. They're just chilling, winning games, just not putting the pedal to the metal quite yet. Are you enjoying the Marcus Ole experience at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're doing well. I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. Uh, I haven't been able to catch all the games, unfortunately, uh, just because I've been pretty busy at the hospital recently. But I have a little bit of time off, so I'm going to try to catch up again. But as, as most fans, we're all worried about our teams and making sure people are not getting sick. I like I like the uh, I haven't been able to watch a lot of NBA games. I'm busy battling the plague on the front lines. You know? um, um, so so before we start with the NBA protocols, which is why I have, I'm having you on, uh, you received, I think, yesterday your second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. How are you feeling? Have you had any side effects? Uh, what's the experience been like? And ha- they're like a month apart or six weeks apart or something. Yeah. So depending on which vaccine you get, if you get the Pfizer vaccine, uh, it's three weeks apart. And if you get the Moderna, it's 28 days apart um, because that's how the trials were done. Um, I feel great. And getting I've gotten my second dose now. And, um, you know, the trial showed that with the second dose, you really get that more robust, long, longer lasting immunity. But the side effects are also more severe. I haven't felt anything yet. So um, so I'm pretty happy about that. But it, it just I mean, beyond the physical feeling of it, just the emotional feeling of being able to get this know I'm going to have immunity, know I'm going to be protected because I'm going to be back on the front lines. I'm actually thinking about trying to go to L.A. County to help out there because they're getting absolutely slammed. Well, it's good to hear that you're feeling good. Uh, it's awesome that you got the vaccine. And I sent you uh, yesterday, a couple days ago, the NBA's 158-page uh, health and safety protocols for this season, this non-bubble season where people are traveling and staying at hotels and all of that stuff that they weren't doing really in Orlando, other than, I guess, staying at a hotel. Um, and I then sent you, we, we both saw the updates today. Um, so I went over them with Woj before, you know, no restaurants, got to stay in your house, got to stay in your hotel room, on and on and on. Um, just, just let's, you've seen those changes. What is your reaction to those changes? Like, is the NBA going to be able to, to do this? Are the changes moving in the right direction of, of safety and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, every every layer that they add to this is going to help prevent transmission. So transmission happens when a lot of safe uh, safeguards fall apart. Um, and so here, one of the key things to figure out is how are people getting transmission? Where is the transmission happening? Um, is it happening when players are giving each other a hug on the court, like with what happened with um, with Tatum and, and Bradley Beal? Um, is it happening when people are at home and is it their family members getting infected in the community um, and transmitting or probably are both of those things happening? Um, because if you think about it, the virus enters from somewhere. And when you had the bubble, you basically were saying, OK, community transmission is out of control. The only way we can keep going with this is to make sure there's just no interactions with the outside community. It's completely regulated. Now you have people going home to their families. You have people, you know, socializing outside of um, and, and, you know, obviously people have been fined for this, but that's how the virus enters. Anytime you have any breaks in that in that seal, um, it'll come in. So so I think the the updates now are going to help. Well, that's the big question that I have is um, so most of the most of we've had these games, right, that have been postponed. and We've had other games played because played with barely teams, barely able to field a team. 
And it's not because, with the exception of the Mavericks, who have four positive cases right now, it's not because teams have enormous amounts of players who are testing positive, and then those players do not appear to be going on infecting players on other teams during games. It's because those players come in contact or were in previous contact with a bunch of their teammates, and that contact is defined as close contact, and then all those teammates need to go quarantine during the contact tracing process for at least a week sometimes less if the contact is deemed a little less close than we imagined upon deeper investigation and video surveillance and all that. It's the contact tracing that has caused so far the postponements and the awkward games where Tyrese Maxey has to play 45 minutes and score 39 points. So that leads me to two questions for you. Number one, I've heard some teams grumble about... um, well, why should all these players have to be out a week? You know, they're they're testing negative, um, it, you know, the first couple of days. A lot of players have already had it. And and in the view of teams, you know, it's very unlikely that if, if you've already had it, why should like this came up with Kevin Durant, who has been public about already having it. Why should he I heard fans ask, why should he have to quarantine for a week if he's already had it? So that two sub questions of that is. Is there any grounds for that grumbling that seven days is too long? And B, what is the reinfection landscape like? Because we reported today that there appears to be at least a couple, if not more, cases of players getting reinfected um, for a second time. Yeah. So, I mean, both of these things are really critical, right? So on the one hand, you have um, why should someone have to quarantine for that long? Well, the virus is median incubation period, which is the the median amount of time between someone has an exposure to when they start to show symptoms is around five or six days. But you see uh, um, a wider range than that. So sometimes people can do can start to show symptoms within three or four days. Some of those people will be at 10 days. Um, and so having to, having to quarantine, and now the CDC guidelines show that if you test at the end of seven days, you can have a shorter quarantine if you have a negative test. Um, that's critical because it's not just like, oh, I had an exposure, I got a test, it's negative now and I'm all good. No, that test is just a snapshot in time. The next day you could start incubating virus and transmit it. Um, and so that's why the, the corn, and you know, it's not just, am I infecting other people um, uh, on the court? It's, am I infecting other staff? Um, many of whom are sort of vul- considered vulnerable frontline workers, you know, who are then going home to crowded homes and families who may not have easy access to healthcare. So there's all these ripple effects from this. The second question that you brought up, which is reinfections. Um, So the CDC guidelines are basically that if you've gotten COVID, you have a period of 90 days after your infection where you don't have to quarantine again, unless you develop symptoms and doctors do not find some alternative cause of those symptoms and you test positive again, there's ways for us to see if that infection is actually a true reinfection of some either a new variant, as you're seeing there are new variants out now, um, or if it's a reinfection with the same. And we've seen it. It's a little bit more of a complicated uh, way that you figure that out. Um, now, if you ask me, how, what is the reinfection landscape? How many people are getting reinfected? Well, think of it this way. If reinfections are happening in people and those people have some level of antibodies, so they're not really showing as much symptoms, you're not going to detect those because people are not like your average person is just not going to get tested randomly all the time. And even if they do, you'd have to do more um, more nuanced testing to figure out if it's a true reinfection. So we could be underestimating this. And and from the standpoint of hospitals, like where I'm working at, it's okay if people get if they get reinfected, but they're not getting really sick, they're not going to be hospitalized. We at least don't run into the problem of crowded hospitals from that. 
But the question is, could those people still transmit to other people? They probably would transmit at a lower rate, but it could right. still happen. So it's, it's, it's a complicated issue. It's not that straightforward. So I've seen the line of thinking a lot of we're regulating fist bumps and hugs in restaurants, and yet we're going to throw 10 dudes on a court and they're going to be sweaty and breathing heavily and playing basketball against each other. And the NBA's argument would be, um, well, that's the product. Like that's, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing we have to do. So everything we do around that is geared to our ability to do that. And their second, and I think more important argument that for some reason is a little bit overlooked is that these guys are getting tested twice a day. And it's one one uh, of the really thorough you know tests, the PCR tests, and one point of care rapid test. The accuracy of which is up for some debate. In some cases, because of the guideline changes today, there will be teams that will be tested three times a day if they're deemed a high risk or they have a positive case already. The goal is to shrink the window between your last negative test and the game to as, as low as possible. Okay, so. If the games are going on, everyone is tested negative. You will have these scenarios. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Seth Curry plays in a game last Wednesday, I think. Obviously, test negative. The next day, he sits out because of an injury, and he tests positive. So mm -hmm. he played the night before. Likely, the from what I've been told, likely the virus is in him during that game, but the negative tests if it's accurate, would hopefully indicate his viral load or whatever the right word is, is not high enough for him to be contagious during that game. Is that about, am I getting it about right? You're getting it right. You're getting it right. So the, the key is that you can have a false negative if you test early enough where the person is just starting to incubate virus, but it's not like a high enough load that you're going to actually even catch it. And this is a very sensitive test. So you're going to catch it when someone has even like a, a medium amount of virus, say. Um, we know that really the day kind of leading up to when you have symptoms is when your viral load is thought to be the highest. Um, and so that's the day that you, you know, you hear about people kind of saying, oh, I went to a party. And then when I got home, I started to have symptoms. Well, they were, they were likely very contagious at that time. Um, so you really don't want people to do it, uh, when they're most contagious, but if you picked up somebody early on, the one thing to remember is this, the difference between the average person walking around on the street and NBA players is that they are huffing and puffing and exerting themselves and breathing heavily. And, you know, uh, in basketball, obviously you're indoors and you're also still face to face with people. Like when you're guarding somebody, or even if you're posting up and you're spending a lot of time just in the same vicinity, you have contribution from both droplets and aerosols, right? So droplets kind of are larger um, sort of collections of saliva and other things that are dropping to the ground because they're larger and heavier. Then you have aerosols that are larger particle or smaller particles that float around in the air. And so that latter piece of this is where ventilation and things become important. But it also means that if you have someone that's really infectious and they're running around on the court, they're going to be emitting these. And if you get enough exposure to that, you certainly can get infected. I think that the testing part of it, though, is really key because you're able to catch people before they get to their most infectious point and you can get them out, get them out of there. That's what the NBA's goal is. I can only rely on their experts and outside experts to tell me how close they've come to accomplishing that goal, which is we will not have a contagious player during a game if all of these things work. And maybe there's no way to guarantee that. It doesn't. It 
seems unlikely there's a way to really guarantee anything. But that's the next thing I was. So, so that's why they want to shrink. Part of what they did today was instead of doing the, the point of care test in the morning before a game, we want to do it two or three hours before a game. We want to shrink the window even further, just in case those five hours that we're erasing is when someone goes from low load to medium transmissible load. But I saw some comments you made in The Athletic yesterday. They stole the question I was going to ask you, which was the, the NBA is saying, basically, if you look at tracking data in basketball games, um, two players are not in close contact with each other for 15 cumulative minutes during an NBA game. Even if they're primary primary assignments on defense, if they're guarding each other, they don't meet that threshold. And I looked at that and I I thought, I mean, probably that's true. I mean, I'm I'm guessing that they're interpreting the tracking data correctly. It's true. But you hit on like, are those are those minutes the same as 15 regular minutes, given the huffing and puffing and the breathing? And I don't know the answer to that question. I just don't. I don't. I don't think we. There's just so much we don't know. It seems to me a little bit aggressive to just say. Well, that just doesn't count as close contact. It seemed that way to me, and you seem to have the same conclusion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is a thing. If you if you sort of understand the physiology and sort of like the physics and the dynamics of how these droplets and aerosols are coming out of your mouth, and they're dependent on a lot of things. So there are articles pre-COVID showing that the louder you speak, the more aerosols you emit. That's why there was this big outbreak uh, with this choir where they were singing, and they had this huge outbreak um, in, in the choir. Uh, so here, if we could visualize this, right, if we could actually see what was coming out of people's mouths and you are now seeing players huffing and puffing and you're seeing a room filling up with droplets, aerosols, et cetera, it'd be easier to conceptualize that actually that 15 minutes, uh, the six feet, all of that stuff, those are guidelines that are given that could be more generally applied to society. But we have to think more critically and in a more nuanced way here um, for what what may happen um, on the court. Yeah, it's it's just we don't know. Like I. We just, there's just a, this is a new it seems like we've been living with this forever but like it's just been 10 months and there's probably i mean you, there's probably a lot you would like to know that you don't know about how this thing works about all of these new strains i mean you we were sending articles back and forth there's debate about whether some new strains are actually new strains or people misspoke by labeling new strains and at one point yesterday i was reading a bloomberg article about a new strain in japan that may have come from a flight from somewhere and i just put my head in my hands and said <laughs> I, I can't I can't read about new strains anymore. I'm going my brain hurts. <laughs> yeah, I mean all of our brains hurt, honestly. It's it's like it's like every day they're just something new and it just feels like we're constantly just treading water just trying to stay afloat without drowning out here. Um but yeah, no, I mean it's tough. I I do think that you know there are two things here. One is preventing any infections, right? Even at a community level. Some people in some countries and other places have pushed for zero COVID. Like they had this hashtag zero COVID, let's get to zero infections. And there's others, and I'm probably in this latter group, which are saying that, you know, actually eliminating this is not a goal that we should really be pushing for. What we need to push for is stopping outbreaks. Outbreaks are how the virus exponentially spreads. That's how healthcare systems get overwhelmed. And so when you think about the NBA, it's going to be hard to prevent every single infection. In fact, the really only way to do that is what they did before, which is the bubble and the bubble worked. Um, but when you're talking about something like this, where you're not in a full bubble, um, there are still ways that the virus can come in. So when we look at kind of the new protocols, for instance, uh, they're saying that if, if any of these uh, players have like guests that come to their house uh, regularly, those people get tested twice per week. Twice per week is not daily testing. And so you can imagine that the less you test, the more chance there is that somebody gets infected. Um, same with 
players' family members. You can't keep those. The players are not supposed to leave their residence apparently now unless they have something, uh, exceptional circumstances or anything work-related they can go to. But beyond that, they're not supposed to be really leaving their house, if I'm understanding correctly. Um, but that's not true for their family members. That's not true for their kids. Um, and so, you know, there are going to be ways that the infection gets in. I think it's just expected. And, and the question really becomes what to do with the season, right? Because you've got like now teams where like superstar players are sitting out. And so more than last season, this season probably in my mind has an asterisk on it, which is to say that, oh man, you actually had teams that had to play with eight players or you had teams without their superstar players playing. Um, and you know, I, it just, it just, we, it's unclear how sustainable this is going to be. An argument you also hear, I hate the asterisk thing. I mean, you're right. And I was one of the only ones saying last April and May that there would not be an asterisk on last season or there was a very good chance there wouldn't be. And in, in fact, I think it went the other way, that it, the Lakers sort of get a permanent badge of honor as being the sort of pandemic bubble champions who yeah. endured everything that that, that that entailed. But you do hear, you heard then and you hear now even, even so, well, these guys will be safer playing in the NBA than they will if we just stopped the season and left them to their own devices. And that gets back to my interpretation of that gets back to the stuff you just said about aerosol particles and huffing and puffing. And I would say maybe that that's probably true for most players. I mean, it's probably true for a lot of people, but that doesn't mean it's true for everybody. You might have players who left to their own devices would just quarantine in their houses until they could get vaccinated and not play basketball and not have people huffing and puffing and sweating on them. So I don't really think any blanket statement like that applies. That said, I don't think the NBA is totally off base by saying in a, in a, in at least some majority or plurality of cases, our protocols in place, yeah, we're traveling, we're going to hotels, blah, blah, blah. Our protocols in place are, are, are maybe keeping these guys safer than they would be in the outside world, but that's not true for everybody. It's just not. I don't think anyway. No, it's it, I don't I don't think that's true for everybody. I mean, if if you think about the players, you know, thankfully they have a lot of power and money and things that they can use to stay safe, stay at home, you know, do that for an extended period of time that a lot of frontline workers just fundamentally can't do. A lot of my patients just can't afford to stay home. You know, we've been staying stay home. Well, everybody I saw that got infected in April when I was working in the COVID uh, emergency room here in Boston were frontline workers that just could not stay home. You know, there's no way for them to do that. So I agree with you. I think that if the season didn't happen and players wanted to just kind of hang out at home and make things work for, for a period of time, they could probably do it more than the average person. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. And, you know, the reality is this, as you can control what happens within a bubble, but you can't control community transmission. Like the NBA is not going to stop COVID, right, in like the United States. Um, and so e even though they've actually done a lot of great stuff to help with the response, which, which I appreciate a lot. Um, but with that being said, high community transmission rates means the virus will find its way in. It'll find its way into all the social connections that NBA players have outside of the league. Among, I'm just curious among non-NBA topic, but among first responders where, where you are up in Boston, what have, what has the, the positive rate been like in March, April now? Are they getting it as much as the general public, less than the general public, more than the general public? What, what is that? Cause I have friends who are ER doctors who have been like bathing. They'll joke like I'm just bathing in this virus every day, but I'm not getting it because I was wearing a mask from day one and I never got it. So I'm just curious in your, in your sort of field, what is, what is the transmission rate been like? Yeah, I mean, so our hospital actually put out a research study showing that the rate of in-hospital transmission of COVID had gone down significantly when we introduced um, universal masking within the hospital. 
Um, and this, this is actually a really important topic. So I have seen more COVID patients than I can count. I've been seeing them since March. Um, I've seen COVID patients this week. You know, it's, it's, it's been going on really the, the whole year. And I have not, I've gotten tested multiple times and I've, I've never had a positive test. I've never had any symptoms that I thought were compatible with COVID this whole year. I've now gotten both doses of the vaccine. I'm, I'm you know, really grateful for that, but I mask in the hospital, I'm always masked. And when I'm seeing patients, I'm wearing high filtration masks. So uh, N95 is, is the mask that we wear in the hospital. And early in the epidemic, uh, and actually in parts of the world still, I'm, I'm seeing on my Twitter feed all the time, people are commenting, saying that some places reserve N95 masks for if you're doing certain procedures that actually create more aerosols. Um, like if you're intubating a patient, like to put them on a ventilator or you're using certain medications that will cause them to like cough more and things like that. But the reality is you emit aerosols just by speaking, right? And a lot of my patients who are delirious and elderly with infections, they don't, they don't have their mask on when I go in the room. Like a lot of them don't even know kind of where they are, what's going on. And so I always wear my N95, even for patients that have not tested positive yet for COVID, because some of those patients, when they first come in, test negative, and then a couple of days later, end up testing positive. And we've had doctors who got infected taking care of those patients because they were only wearing a regular surgical mask and not a not a N95 mask. Um, and those patients ended up having COVID and they ended up transmitting it. And we actually had a huge outbreak at our hospital over the summer um, that was covered all over the news and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's really important that that, uh, that masking is the key. And, and uh, myself and a couple of colleagues have been trying to put a call out to the Biden administration saying that the average American should not be folding up a T-shirt. This is crazy, right? We need to be getting better masks to the average American because when you're going out in the community now, depending on where you live, like if you're in LA County and you're going to the grocery store, some parts of the city are testing like one in five or one in 10 positive people. Um, and so now you think about going into a grocery store and you have tons of people in there and way more of those people are likely infected than at any other point in the year. You want the best mask you can get when you go in there. I can't believe this is this is what life is now. But this is now what we're living through. Um, last question, then I'll let you go. I mean, this is a dumb question, but like, should the NBA be trying to do this? And how are they doing on a, on a grade scale, I guess, so far? I mean, they're not the only, every sports league is trying to operate, so it's not like they're alone. But I was struck by when I interviewed you back in March or April and how many of your colleagues in the field said, heck yes, the NBA should try to do this. Sports are important and healthy. And I expected the scientists to go completely the other way and saying, nope, safety, safety, safety. We shouldn't risk anything. So, I mean, there's no... The NBA wanted to have a season. There's no other way to do it unless you go in a bubble the whole time. They're not going to do that. I mean, ethics concerns, whatever. Like, is is this workable? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the heart of that question is to me just like the heart of this whole epidemic, right? It's um, I, I'll give you an example. I have a I have a buddy of mine who's a psychiatrist, and he was saying, you know, so many of his patients have been suffering from depression and loneliness, and sports is what brings them together. And watching the Lakers win was something that was so important to, to the people he was seeing. I've seen the same. I've had patients, not COVID patients, who are coming in with alcoholism and depression and suicidality and, and whatnot. And so the, the benefit of sports, the reason that we love sports and we love basketball, those things are still there, right? We, you, those things will not go away and we need that. But I think the flip of it is when I think about my patients who are frontline vulnerable workers 
and they're not getting the PPE that they need. They're not getting the testing that they need. And and so when the NBA is like able to leverage its wealth and power to test people every single day and to go through all these extensive measures to protect players, I'm thinking about these frontline workers who don't have millions of dollars to protect them. Like, like, like we talked about, if the NBA season had to pause, a lot of these players um, thankfully could protect themselves and, and, you know, kind of make it. But a lot of my patients are not going to be able to do that. And so that really digs at me. Well, and the, and also the price, you know, if there is some broader cultural value that sports provides the general public, you know, the people paying the price for that, now they're getting paid a salary to do it, an enormous salary, but the people paying the price in travel and health and now isolation for at least the next couple of weeks are, are the players. And so there's, it's just, it's a fraught question, but everybody has come together at the table, players, owners, GMs, whatever, and said, you know what, we're going to do it. We're going to try our best to do it. And I, I think the NBA's record suggests that they've put the work in, they've put the research in, they've got a pretty robust set of protocols and they're going to try their best. And there's no, there's no perfect way to do this. It's a pandemic and, and that's, that's just the reality. Um, well, I hope, I hope we get a season. I hope all the players stay healthy. I hope no more people test positive. Obviously that's not going to happen. And I hope you get to see your Lakers make a real legitimate title defense. That's, that would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, Zach, thank you so much, man. I, I totally agree with you on that. And uh, as, as you said, all you can do is try. Dr. Abrar Karan, um, the work you've been doing is massively important. Everyone thanks you and, and your colleagues. Thank you for taking a small break to come on this silly podcast and talk about actually important stuff and basketball. But seriously, thank you for all your work. And let, let's be in touch. It's been nice talking to you. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.